welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. We are also on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry. We're also on YouTube now with the videos of these programs. And our guest will be joining us here in just a moment to share the spotlight, if you will. Although I don't necessarily consider myself in the spotlight, I like to put my guests there. And we'll be talking with her shortly. Uh, we also want you to go to our guest's website so that you can continue your evolutionary process. And we also ask that you participate in the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision. Go within. Spend some time contemplating your life's purpose, what your life is all about, what you've been doing, what you want to do. Find that still, small, quiet place that will give you that peace of mind and that centering and that equilibrium so that you can then face the world and your day uh, with so much more energy and vitality, but also more focus and centeredness and peacefulness and calmness. And that's really what it's all about. In the decade of 2020s, the decade of perfect vision, uh, we hope that you will spend time doing that. We also hope that if you like what we are doing, we could use your financial support in any way, shape, or form you can give it. And that's why we have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. And if you uh, feel led to do so, please uh, do so uh, through those uh, uh, means of Patreon and PayPal. We thank you so much for participating in that effort to keep these broadcasts going. And we thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us. And we thank you if you are going to help us. So, again, uh, my greatest, uh, my gratitude goes to those who have already done so and those who will uh, as we move forward in time. Well, speaking of moving forward in time, we've done just that along with our guest who's returning to this program. I don't know how many times you've been here, but I thank you for joining us again. Cindy Dale of CindyDale.com, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Richard. And hi, everybody. I haven't kept track either. It's somewhere around, you know, the it, fingers on a hand yeah, anyway. <laughs> at least, at least I, yeah. I, I could check while we're talking, but I'm not going to. It's it's just great to have you back again here. Uh, here we are, A, in the 21st century, which I know we've <laughs> this program has been on since 20, 2007. So obviously we've been talking in that period of time. But um, we've all gone through a lot of stuff since probably the last time you and I have had a chance to chat. Least of which, of course, is the virus and the election and the myriad of natural uh, occurrences around the world, not just in this country. I mean, I, I, I've lost track of the number. Matter of fact, I know uh, that there have been probably 20 or maybe 30 hurricanes because they ran out of names and they had to start over, <laughs> you know. So um, those are just a few of the things that we've been through. Uh, and not to mention our own personal lives and the things that have been happening there, be it financial or emotional or uh, psychological. I, I, you know, I'd like to think that people who are suffering a lot of mental stress right now, Maybe you're feeling a little bit less, although, you know, um, you know, even though as you and I converse, 
Okay. As you and I converse, uh, a new individual has been selected to lead this country. And whether that holds up, we don't know. We hope that it does. And then are there others who hope that it doesn't and things go the other way. Quite honestly, I believe in divine right order. And I know you do too. And it's going to turn out the way it's supposed to. And we'll be okay. We'll survive. And we'll move forward. Uh, and, um, and that's kind of where we're going to start. Because what we need to also do is we need to begin the process of connecting with one another. We need to start. Maybe we can't touch physically. But we still need to connect with one another we need to listen to one another. We need to begin the process of understanding, or at least trying to understand, where the other person is coming from. And that leads us into the conversation about empathy. Uh, my wife is an empath. And for years, as long as I've known her, for the first 10 or 15 years, she had struggled like you would not believe, thinking something was wrong with her every time she got emotional over certain things until she finally made the connection that she was picking up on the energy of other people. Uh, I would take it, uh, Cindy, that you also share that trait, if you will, if that's the right word to use. You're an empath. I'm an empath. I'm a clairvoyant also, which means I get pictures. Mm -hmm. I'm also a clairaudient, which means I can get messages. But, you know, most of the intuitive gifts of the energy gifts are empathic in nature, Richard. Most of us are empaths. I think we just don't know to what extent we might be absorbing mm -hmm. other people's physical aches and pains or illnesses, their feelings, their emotions, their needs their motivations, their thoughts. We can get their thoughts and patterns operating inside of us. And then we don't always even know why we have certain cravings or why we're doing X rather than Z. Mm -hmm. I mean, and sometimes it makes us very confused about who we are. And yeah. so empathy is, of course, it's a beautiful wired in ability. It's in our neurological system, the ability to understand another or connect with another. But so many of us are over empathic in one or of, of several different ways or many ways mm -hmm. that we have to talk about not only the positives of empathy, but how do you get those darn boundaries in there? So you know who you are versus who somebody else is. And I think that's what you're talking about in regards to your wife. Yeah. And, and it was quite a challenge for her. Now, I, not knowing that she was empathic, okay, at least not putting that word to it, I kept telling her it's not you, you know, that, that it, it's not you in terms of, and of course, the way she would describe these things, it was more uh, the dynamics that were going on, say, in the, in the workplace. And I said, it's not you, it's them, they're the ones that have the problem with you. You don't have a problem with them. And so that was kind of where we began to realize that uh, this, was, this was an empathic aspect to who she was. And that's something that is difficult for people to recognize at first. And they want to, they want to do all kinds of other things except recognize that, oh, 
I, I must be picking up on the energy in the room of this person, that person, this group, or what have you. Uh, similar to what HeartMath, which I know you're familiar with, has done around the world placing these various sensors uh, to pick up on the human energy that's going on. And I still remember talking uh, with the representatives from HeartMath not long after 9-11 and how their devices picked up on a massive spike. I don't know if it was hours prior to, but it was like the human species somehow knew that some major event was about to happen. And that is science proving that that energy goes out and people pick up on it. It's science. I mean, there's other studies that show anywhere between three seconds to a minute before an event occurs, they can... Uh, there's a there's an uptick in somebody's heart rate, mm-hmm. in their sweat, you know, the sweat glands. They actually start reacting before something happens. And, and, and it's it's explainable, again, because of science, because we're made out of energy, yeah. as we've talked about before, Richard, and I'm sure ha- you have with many other people, too. Energy is physical. There's measurable energy, but ninety nine point nine 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 dot 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 percent of all energy is not so measurable. It's invisible by normal cues. Mm-hmm. It's inaudible, you know, kind of through our you know ears anyway. Uh, you know, but you take a physical object, most of it, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of it, is not measurable. It's not solid. It's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And we're made out of fields of light and sound, most of which are immeasurable, that interconnect with other people and beings. Many of them are composed of waves that move faster than the speed of light. And so you can literally, before an event occurs across the world, feel the feelings of the people who are going to go through it, like a tsunami or a hurricane or or a positive event, a celebration. And You know, I had people following the election in other countries just say before there were results which haven't been fully tallied yet. Mm -hmm. But before all of those fully came in, they were like, I just have a good feeling. And they were Biden people. And they were like, I just think things are going to be okay." And they didn't have the stats. Others, I don't think things are going well. They were on the other side. They were Trump supporters and they felt it. So we are so interconnected. We poor empaths, and I like being an empath, to be honest. I like it. I have boundaries. I know usually when something's mine or not mine. Uh, you know, but it if you're not acquainted with even the idea that everything you're feeling may not be your own, you can be you're just a wash. You, yeah, you can just yeah. be a mess. It and and you know, it's it's one of those things we haven't been taught to trust is our intuition. Uh, matter of fact, uh, in many circles, uh, religious and otherwise, uh, we're told not to trust that feeling. Um, some people, you know, you've heard this phrase, primarily going back more to the 60s and early 70s. Well, if it feels good, do it. Well, what's wrong with that? If it feels good, do it. As long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else, then what's wrong with that? You know? Because aren't we supposed to, aren't we here to to be happy and joyful and and experience and thrive and and grow and all of those things? And then, of course, nurture one another. To me, that 
that says that, you know, a lot of people, as a matter of fact, you hear this, I'm sure, many, many times from whether it's on the news or what have you, where uh, this good Samaritan will do something and then they'll find the guy or gal and they'll start asking them, well, why'd you do this? Well, because not only was it the right thing to do, it just makes me feel good. You know? Yeah. And intuition is about allowing us and inviting us forward to be who we really are. Mm -hmm. We're all independent. We're all unique lights. We're all interconnected. And my intuition does often instruct me to do something good, too, not just sort of eat a chocolate cake, which is what <laughs> me to do. Once in a while, I think my intuition is like chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. And then I, I do listen to it. Yeah. But I remember years ago... I had a, uh, I've had a series of male golden retrievers named Honey. All right. It started in my ex-husband's family and we got divorced. And then forever on for my kids, I had to get male golden retrievers named Honey, who are really all the same dog, the same soul. And they've all had the same temperament, which is to eat anything and everything. So my, my youngest was maybe three or four years old. And that particular male golden retriever named Honey ate the couch mm -hmm. not oh. the entire couch but a lot of the couch i think he thought there was pizza under it <laughs> <laughs> so i grabbed my son gabe i went to target you know i needed new pillows because he always he also ruined all the pillows that were on the couch and i needed to like get duct tape thank goodness for duct tape right that's mm -hmm. the other thing that's intuition that's invaluable because i needed to tape this up and get new pillows and this and that and we're leaving target gabe's in that little you know, child seat. And I've got tons of pillows and tape and we don't have any food. And I'm like, I'm so hungry. Let's go home and I'll make you dinner. It's like six o'clock at night. We're both cranky. And I hear this voice in my head that says, look at the young man sitting over there on the bench in Target. Why well, ignore the voice? I don't want to hear the voice. I don't want to do anybody any favors except for myself. Mm -hmm. And then I have this overwhelming feeling, which is more empathy, that was like, that there's somebody over there who really needs help. I could feel his need. I could feel his loss. I could feel his hunger. And the voice said again, you got to go help him. And I again ignored it. I hate to admit that because I can be very stubborn, very Norwegian. I'll blame it on my heritage. <laughs> but I could feel his needs. And sooner or later, I just went over there. I probably didn't even sound nice. And I said, do you need something? And he said, my friends just drove into town from Seattle on a two-day trip this morning, and they left me here and took my car, and I haven't eaten since this morning. Oh, wow. And I know, and that's sad. Well, I knew the cook at Target. I went over there, and he gave some food to the, you know, he was a pastor, actually, and he gave some food to this young man. And this young man looked at me, and he said, can I come to your house? And I said, no, you can't come to my house but we're going to get the police to help you and everything's going to get sorted. And I still, I was there for about an hour and the very nice pastor who was manning the grill also gave, gave in me food, which was also very nice. And everything worked out that he was taken care of. He was brought somewhere. I knew he would be tended. That was intuition. That was a voice, but it was empathy. That was like, I, I wasn't hooked in as much on the voice because I was so grumpy as the feeling this person needs your help. Look at what he's going through. Yeah. And empathy adds that special like aspect of intuition that helps us to care. And then we can do what's caring. Yeah. You know, I've, I've used a number of different examples of my intuition that, um, 
actually frustrated me because um, it's like, okay, it's telling me to go this way, but if I go that way, it's taking me way out of my way. Well, sometimes you don't know what it is your intuition is trying to keep you safe from or a person they're trying to guide you to to give you the opportunity. There's no forcing of anything here. To give you the opportunity to be the kind of, shall we say, angel, if you will, as you just described in your example. And there are people that need help all over the place. And I have, I've gotten better at it, especially on a personal level, because ever since I was diagnosed, uh, this was a diagnosis back in July of 2020 with type 2 diabetes, which I, by the way, no longer have. Okay. I got rid of it in two months. Okay. Now I say I got rid of it. Now, let me, let me back that up and say, I no longer have it. We all have the potentiality for type 2 diabetes. It's all based upon our diet and exercise. And I got I I I shifted into the type 2 diabetes phase because of the pandemic. Did I get the virus? No, 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 no. It's because everybody went to comfort foods and so did I. Because my blood sugar was relatively normal most of the time for the last 5 or 6 or 7 years that I'd been checked. And then all of a sudden, it was 544. Well, I just had my uh, my blood work checked right at the end of October, 1st of November, 2020. Average is now uh, 117. I was at 11.2 as far as my A1C. It's now back down where it's supposed to be, 5.7. Two months it took me, okay, that I'd already, I'd already brought it down. Because I made that commitment. But here's the part of the intuition that I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to share. I'll go to the store, or even if I'm just walking, heading towards the store, and I want to buy a certain thing that I've had before and never had a problem with it. You know, let's say I want to buy a Coke, or I want to buy a Snickers, or I want to, you know, those kind of things. Well, I'm still checking my blood sugar, and I probably will the rest of my life just because I think it's a good idea, okay? You can't lie to the meter. You can't cheat the meter. It will catch you, okay? And so as I'm heading there, I get the sound inside of my head. You know, if you check your sugar, you're going to see that it's going to spike. And uh, she's going to know because you're going to tell her. And so why, why go down that road? And to me, that's my intuition, you know? It's not my conscience, although I suppose we might want to talk a little bit about the difference between our conscience and our intuition. Maybe they are. Are they one and the same thing from your perspective? That's a great question. I think on a personal level, our conscience and our intuition are intertwined. And I think when we've really developed ourselves as a soul embodied in the physical, they are the same. I think before we allow ourselves to really be an extension of our own spirit, you know, who we really are, in in which case our intuition is going to always have conscientiousness, it's going to be conscious, it's Mm -hmm. going to enable us to be aware and make these conscientious decisions. I think for a while we have to rely on conscious, which is much more of a developed, you know, kind of morality 
mm-hmm. or an ethic, and it requires more mental activity. Before we're more uniform, I would say, you know, and in that case, our conscience is going to be, you know, sort of like the Ten Commandments. It's like the difference between, from a, you know, from a Christian point of view, the Ten Commandments and the New Testament commandments, which is, you know, love thy God and, you know, kind of love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. So it's simplified, and yeah. and that those two commandments appear in every culture across time too, in one version or another. But the 10 commandments is more like the conscience before you get to rely on your inner self and your Mm. intuition, this gauging, this, this reading energy, it's reading your energy, others' energy, the world's energy, where you need to be, when you need to be there. But conscious is going to be like, look, you know, you got some rules in your head, Cindy, you know what they are. So here's the rule. Just do the rule. I do think for most, it's great to have a conscience, but it leaves us, you know, sort of lacking when we have to be totally reliant on what's right in this moment. How am I in alignment in this moment? The mental stuff doesn't always have all the answers. It it just Mm -hmm. often doesn't. Yeah. Cindy Dale's my guest here on the program. And we are, of course, discussing uh, on one level. We're talking about empathy. What are some of the other things that you have been doing, uh, areas that you have been diving into over the last few years since the last time we talked? I'm sure you've written well, more, too. I have been writing. <laughs> I, I have 27 books. That's an, a ridiculous number of books, if you really look at it. Like, sometimes I'm going, what am I doing? Why don't I just go skating? Why don't I just go? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have done some traveling. I had some great travels going until this COVID year. I was going to go hiking in Wales. I was going to take my oldest son and his girlfriend and a friend of mine to Norway. And now I'm just working more. It's all just getting pushed up. I've also written, this is very interesting, time to the COVID year, we could call it that, or whatever we want to call 2020, the year of vision, as you call it. Mm-hmm. I uh, did write and have uh, come out with a book on trauma, energy healing for trauma, stress, and chronic illness. And I'll tell you, I got the galleys, we used to call them galleys back in the old day, back in March, April, mm-hmm. when right after we locked down, and I was told, you know what, Cindy, you can write 16 pages about the virus. And I wrote 16 pages about the virus and because I was working with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from an empathic point of view, mm-hmm. are we maybe absorbing other people's symptoms of the virus? You know, how are we mm-hmm. enabling sickness by bringing in other people's stress or paranoia or fear or anger, which we could also discuss that in terms of the election and racial unrest and everything else. So can we be actually making ourselves get sicker if we do get sick or catch a virus because we're absorbing too much that's really not healthy for our symptoms, Um, you know, our systems. But But I also wrote about the construct of the virus and what you can do energetically in regard to it, how you can put up some better protection in your energy field. So it's been a very rich year mm-hmm. for integrating concepts like being too empathic and how to put up boundaries so you're not just going into a world's anxiety, depression kind of stuff. And if you're scared of the virus, what are some energetic tools? So it's been a very important year for me for putting these ideas together too and helping people with them, to mm-hmm. be honest. Yeah. 
Something else that has um, been brought to my attention over the last few months in these interviews is the symbolism or even the metaphor of the actual virus. All right. We've all seen pictures of it. All right. It's this sphere and it has all these little crowns on it, which is why it is called the Corona virus. Corona meaning crown in Spanish. Okay. And I thought it was real interesting how someone was sharing uh, how, you know, this this uh, this virus and what we're going through, the pandemic and everything, is actually helping a lot of people to raise their consciousness, their awareness and so forth, their spirituality, uh, up to the crown chakra. Okay? And I said, well, and that's when I shared with them the, the metaphor that someone had shared with me about that very thing, the, the crown or corona of this virus. And that what it is doing... Uh, you know, sadly, there are those who most many 90 percent or 99 percent of those who passed away because of it. It was due to underlying conditions, not the virus, but the underlying conditions they had like diabetes, heart disease and the list goes on. Right. Which led me to think, well, then we're doing a terrible job, especially in this country, of taking care of ourselves and that we need to make a more concerted effort to focus on our health and well-being, physically, mentally, emotionally, as well as spiritually. What have your observations been in maybe that context, if you will, um, of that metaphor as I have kind of brought it forth? Because it just seems to me like, like, wow, that was, that's not a leap, folks. That was really cool what was shared with me in that regard. That's excellent. And you're emphasizing that special, unique seventh chakra, the crown chakra and the chakras atop, which have to do with prophecy, unification, spirituality, oneness. Mm -hmm. And I, in particular, noted months and months ago, especially because I was doing some work in China. I've actually been to China, you know, several times and still continue to uh, engage teaching classes, et cetera, with the Chinese that, that this, this virus isn't, a, it doesn't matter where it started. What it's showing us from a crown perspective is we're really all one people. Mm-hmm. That virus, the same as you could say of anxiety or strife or peace or goodness does not look down as it's flying around and go, oh, here's a territory on a map. Look, there's a line. I'm not going to cross it. We're in it together. Mm -hmm. Climate Mm -hmm. change, we're in it together. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the constructive and destructive, you know, kind of fallout from how we've been separated or considers ourselves ourselves either better than other countries or this or that or the other thing. You know what? None of that matters. We are actually unified. What one goes through, others are going through as well. Mm. You're also making that very important point that this also has to do with our physicality because that virus has inside of it a single strand of RNA. We are made out of RNA and DNA. Like physically, chemically, it comes down to chemicals. It comes down to how we're interacting. You said earlier, Richard, we all really have the potential to get just about any issue, Mm -hmm. (laughs) any emotional challenge, Mm -hmm. psychological challenge, physical disease. It's all in us. Pretty much it's all in us. So 
So not only what do we have to be aware of spiritually to hold ourselves in a good place, but what do we have to be aware of physically? We have to eat right. We have to exercise. We have to decide what television programs we're going to watch or not. Mm -hmm. We have to get out in good, fresh air. We have to get in the sun if we don't have you know, can't get in the sun. I'm in Minnesota, right? I run my dogs early in the morning. There's no sun out then. So when am I going to get some sun at a different time of the day? So we have this extreme of spirit and the extreme of body. And maybe we can start to see that they're sort of mirroring each other. They're one and the same. And we have to approach our world that way too. Yeah. How did you, for those who are joining us for the very first time with a conversation with Cindy Dale, who have not listened to any of the other interviews that we've done <clears throat> over the past, uh, you may not believe this, 14 years, 13 years, 13 years, we're into our 14th year, okay, of this, of this particular program. Uh, how did all of this begin for you that opened up your world to help others open up their worlds? physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Well, I was that kid who saw ghosts and heard spirits and had tea parties with angels and could describe colors that were coming off of my parents. When they were in a good mood, there was a certain set of colors and a bad mood, and you're going to want to run. There were other colors. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I saw entities. I remember going to my first funeral. I was in Huntsville, Alabama. Maybe I was four or something like that. And we went to this funeral of my mom's friend, Jean. It's funny what you remember Mm -hmm. when it impresses you. And I can see her dead body and she's all made up and she has makeup on. And I'm like, well, there's Jean in there, but there's also Jean up there flying around the room. (laughs) And so how does this work? And, you know, that's not about serving others. That's just about being who you are. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was a teenager, Richard, I really shut down the gifts. And most teenagers, you just want to fit in. You're sort of in a nasty mood most of the time. I was tired of my family. I had a near-death experience. The voice upstairs told me I had to go back. I got mad. I shut down the gifts. And then I was like dead, like Jean in the, the, the Jean in the coffin. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't sense anything, hear anything. It was very miserable. And when I went to therapy at around 20 as a client, I had a therapist who said, you know, I think your problems are not only because you're codependent, compulsive, OCD, you know, the whole anorexic, bulimic, blah, 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 all these things, which were probably because I shut down my gifts. But anyway, but I think you're also psychic. Like you take on other people's issues and feelings, and you don't know what you're going to do with all this. The word helped me. The word psychic, I was then able to start traveling. I learned about healing and energy and spirits and spirit from other cultures, shamans and healers in other cultures. And I, and it was just became the path. A voice then said to me, you know, you need to start doing readings and you need to start giving healings and you need to write a book. And, you know, I just listened to the voice and I don't know if my heart in the beginning was fully vested in, I want to help people. It was more, this is very interesting. (laughs) I want to, I want to do this, but now my heart's about, this is a call. This is a call for grace. 
this is a call to help people know that there's grace and wake up to who they are and help them know that they're loved. And the more often I'm able to be that vessel for people, the more loved I feel. So it's a, you know, it's a very beautiful cycle that I feel like I'm in now. How about your family? Uh, you mentioned your your sons. Uh, yeah. What has been their response uh, to all of this uh, work that you do? That's what, that's the word I'm going to put on it, the work that you're doing, okay? Uh, because a lot, and, and certainly more and more of this is becoming mainstream, which is a wonderful thing on the one hand, but at the same time it's like, yeah, but it's so special. Let's try to keep that specialness about it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but how is how is your family responded to to not only your work, but even the work of people that you associate with? Not the necessarily those that you work with in terms of clients per se, but there are others. I'm sure you've been to workshops and seminars and expos and all of that kind of stuff, and you're around this kind of energy. How is that? How does that impact the family? Well, I'm going to give three answers. First, my oldest son, who is 32, thought I was the weirdest mom in the world for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> so he went to work in politics and then public relations. And then he thought he's, he started to see clients into this. His clients were into this. He helped do a special event at a hotel that was all about healing and energy. And he gave them my name, which I thought was a full acceptance into his world. He also liked the fact that starting about two, three years ago, I started to get these visions of kitchen gadgets he and his girlfriend needed, and I would send them. <laughs> like the first time I did that, I sent like a red Breville, I don't even know how to say it because I don't cook, a red Breville waffle maker. And he called me and he goes, did, did you send us a red Breville waffle maker? And I go, yeah. He goes, how did you know to do that? I go, well, I just had a feeling about it. And I was guided to Williams and Sonoma and I sent it. And he goes, well, we were just talking about that last week. And he was like, you want to keep doing that, mom? You just keep channeling different kitchen gadgets and we'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when people benefit, they like it. My sure. youngest is 21. He's a baseball pitcher. He's totally cool. He has other pitchers come and work with me because he's like, you know what? It works. Like my pitching gets better. And he tells the story of when I was first working with them that um, his arm wasn't working. And within 10 minutes, he couldn't raise his arm. Ooh. I like kept raising his arm and figuring out what issues were stuck in there. He had full movement of his arm within 10 minutes. Then he was sold. The rest of my family. <laughs> right? Here we go. Here we go. Years ago, my first book came out almost 30 years ago. And I was at a family reunion. And this particular aunt and uncle, elderly great aunt and uncle, didn't get the memo. Cindy has had a book come out and it's weird. So don't talk about it with her because <laughs> it's weird. They asked me about the book. The rest of the 30 people or whatever heard the question. They all shifted to one side of the deck. And honest to gosh, that whole deck threatened to just collapse. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh. So, but 
you know, there's more and more people in the family. They're doing acupuncture. They're doing energy work. Mm -hmm. My uncle, a few years ago, before he died, read my book. He had pancreatic cancer. And he said, you know, that the ideas helped him. So um, I had an uncle, not maybe four or five years ago, we were at a reunion sitting next to each other. He was very drunk. And he just was so happy I was doing this. He's from North Dakota. He goes, you know what? Out in North Dakota, there's this big pyramid. And I think you could go there, Cindy, and get aliens to come down and give us lottery numbers. So, <laughs> so you know, Richard, people find their way, don't yeah. they? Yeah, they do. They find their way to either benefit or accept you if you, you know what, because it's taking off in the world. It's yeah. now a trend. It's not just going to you know, kind of like make you be seen as weird. It's sort of like, well, can you give me a mini reading or can you help me with this? It's acceptable now yeah. in different ways from different family members. I'm going to ask you a little bit about the last thing you referenced there because my wife and I have both felt the same about this. Um, aliens, extraterrestrials other beings living in the universe besides us. Now, I personally believe they exist because I think it's too it's it's highly arrogant of the human species to think that they are the only sentient beings in the universe. And some would say, well yeah, we'll look at all the animals we have. I don't no no no, I'm talking about off planet, okay? And that um, we actually watched this one documentary where we ended up downloading this app to communicate with other people who do not buy into the fear that, that the governments are trying to pass, saying that, th that this is dangerous, you know, we got to prepare for the alien invasion. It's like, do you understand what you're saying? That if they can travel intergalactically, we don't stand a chance. If they want to take over... They will take over. They have the power and the technology. Okay? There's nothing. For example, the abductions. You know how you you hear about these all the time, right? People, oh, yeah, last night I remember I was carried through the ceiling of the house and this and that. And then they would come back and then I swear to God they probed in this and that, blah, 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 blah. It's like if they can do that and you can't stop it then there's nothing you can do about them coming and taking over the earth, which they don't want to do anyway, I don't believe. But this group that we have these apps on our phone regarding communicating with aliens because we want to have first contact, not for any exploitive reasons, but because we want to have first contact. We want to help either help them to integrate or help us to integrate into their society, into their whatever they've got, because we would like to have that experience. Is there anything that you can, uh, and I know this is sort of far afield a little bit, but what what do you know about this area, not necessarily going all the way back to the 50s and Area 51 and all that kind of stuff, but do you kind of get the gist of where I'm going with this? Yes. And they are more advanced than us, so they wouldn't be hanging out here. I completely believe that there are aliens. Years ago, I led a group of women to Sedona. And ah, yes. 
Yeah, and you can you see them there. We saw them. Mm -hmm. We had three groups of women. We met somewhere in the middle of the desert. We weren't trying to aim, you know, to to kind of have a reunion out there. And there were three spaceships up there. Three spaceships. They were there. And you know, they came down. We all agreed that we had seen them. By the next morning, out of the 17 women, about half of them said we must have just made that up. So we, our minds are tricky and mm -hmm. don't necessarily like going across the borders because that can be scary. Yeah. I'm positive there are aliens. And I mean, sometimes I feel like I hear them. I connect with them. There's 27 plus cultures that say they came from the stars. I mean, we are aliens <laughs> at some level. Where did we come from? Many of us, many of my clients, their issues don't heal until I start talking about what planet of origin or constellation of origin they came from and how they missed it and how they still need that energy. And their issues start to heal. Physical issues might start to heal. I, I don't think there's, to me, it's sort of like, how are we going to become more open to this concept rather than, you know, how are we going to fend it off and why, why should we even be scared of it? Really? You know, uh, on the one hand, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Um, we can't even accept people of different skin tones. And yet we want to experience this. And I don't have a problem with people with other skin tones. Matter of fact, the more, the further forward we go, I'm seeing more um, of, and I guess the only way to put it is of color people. Although I have color, you know, you have color. You're a little paler than I am, at least as far as I can tell. But, okay, but I'm seeing more and more of this in movies and television. On top of the fact that even, even though I'm not a horror film watcher, I don't like those kinds of films. But what I do like when I do watch them, because my wife does like them, so I will sit and watch, okay, just because we'll get to spend that time together, all right? They're writing scripts where they're strong women. Maybe at the beginning of the movie, they're screaming a lot and this kind of stuff, but at one point, boy, do they get the cojones and they say, uh-uh, not in my house, and they go to town, okay? And I'm also finding, too, that more and more movies are being made with people of darker hue, darker skin tones from other cultures and so on and so forth. And I guess one of the things that I, I'm saddened by as far as my education, my own personal formal education, is that we didn't learn as much as we could have about the different cultures on the planet. Now, to say, um, yeah, let's learn about the African culture. Oh, yeah, but hold on. Do you know how many countries there are in Africa? Now, Africa's a continent, and it is made up of countries. And each country not only has its own culture, but even within those countries, there are tribes, and each tribe has a different culture. And it's, you know, I, I, you know, that's just the way it is. So to learn about all of them would be a monumental task. But even to touch upon those kinds of things, or even you've been to China. China is part of a continent. China is split up into, I don't know, provinces, I guess. Very large, kind of like states here in this country. 
Um, but even within each of those provinces, you have different communities that live different ways, you know, and maybe along the coast, uh, the coastline of China, the, the, the big, the, the industrial, the, 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 the first world, if you will, as they call them, the developed portions of China. But you go further inland and they're less developed. Doesn't mean they're unhappy. It just means that they don't have the technologies that you and I have. And it, and then just because we have them doesn't even mean we're happy, you know. Um, so now we want to go out into the stars. Now, uh, you know, supposedly, uh, although I doubt this is going to come to fruition now, uh, this whole business of the Space Force. But what I do like is the, the, the idea of the exploration. Exploitation, no. Let's not go to the moon or to Mars, okay? I think it's interesting they want to go latch on to asteroids and comets to mine for whatever minerals are there. That's kind of an interesting idea. But, see, I, I prefer getting Bruce Willis and his crew, if a comet's headed for us, to push it away. Uh, but there's so much we don't even know about ourselves. Um, how have you been able to expand your awareness of humanity in that regard? Oh, that's a great question. And so we're almost talking dual tracks because there's the exploration of our own cultures, of various cultures. And, and I think we have to follow our intuition as individuals, you know, to know what to explore that already is or has been on this earth. Um, I've been led to study in Peru many, many, many times. I'm obviously not Peruvian. As you pointed out, I'm very pale. I'm very Norwegian. <laughs> Peru is not my culture. And yet I've visited there probably eight, 10 times to learn from shamans. And I have felt, I have felt kinship there. I mm -hmm. wouldn't say that's my culture, but there's teachings for me that I've been able to integrate. So I think we have to find our way and, you know, kind of where we need to touch in. Simultaneously, I have found, especially with my client, many of my clients, it is helpful for them to have the sense of the stars and other cultures, because some of them have memories of, I was once Arcturian, or, you know, I have beings that come and visit me from another place. Now, we, we should never ignore the fact that we're human right now. Mm -hmm. it, it's not an excuse to just say, well, I don't have to go to my job or pay for my kids' braces or uh, walk my dog or whatever it might be because I came from Lyra or I came from this super neat planet. So I'm separate from it all or above it all. We're human right now. I mean, we, we know that. Mm -hmm. But where there's a way that we can incorporate learnings that are important for us that help us be more of who we are and extend ourselves that's positive i actually have a funny story about i already brought up honey the male golden retriever dogs well the third one lives with me right now and i walk run the dogs honey and lucky every morning at this dog park and for several weeks in a row honey kept stopping and barking up at this tree and for a long time, I thought he was barking at this tree. I'm up there like at 4, 4.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I finally figured out, no, he's he's barking at like the stars. This is a place he can see some particular, you know, constellation or star. And I was like, that's really odd. I, I mean, but he's looking at me like, can't you see like who's talking to me? 
And I'm like, okay, honey, I get it. You're talking to aliens. And then he just was fine. Then he stopped barking. Once I said that to him, he was like, okay, you get it. I had a girlfriend stay with me about a year, year and a half ago. She slept in my basement uh, for a few days. Honey, the dog always sleeps down in the basement. And one morning she woke up because she could hear Honey talking like, he does that anyway. Mm -hmm. He's sitting up and he's talking. She saw beings in the room, tall, thin beings. And she came up the next morning and she said, Honey was talking to aliens last night. And I said, I think he is an alien. <laughs> I think those are his aliens. Those are his people. And I think it's good that he had a good chat with his people. <laughs> so however odd you want to go or, yeah. you know, whatever gets called into your life, go with it as long as it keeps you grounded and practical. You know, we're not, we, we, we can't avoid eating for this body and exercising for this body. You, you can't get too far out of norm no. and be healthy either. What I find interesting, too, is uh, a gentleman who wrote a book called A.D., After uh, after Disclosure, I think is what it was called. And this book was based upon the premise that the finally the governments of the world would finally admit, yes, there are aliens. And uh, I never never ha I have not interviewed the gentleman, but I know that if I do, one of my very first questions is to him. What makes you think that the general public is going to believe the governments, if they've been lying about this from the beginning, what makes you think they're going to believe them now? You know, I mean, I don't believe them about most of the stuff that they tell me anyway, because it doesn't make any sense. Um, but he talks about how if they did, it would change Everything. It would change our whole economic system, our religions, our education. I mean, it would literally change everything. And then it's not necessarily a bad thing because it would finally acknowledge that we are not the center of the universe. Similar, wasn't it Copernicus who, um, you know, didn't favor too well with the church when he said that, uh, no, we're not the center of the universe, uh, you know. Uh, nor is the sun the center of the universe. You know, we just happen to be on one of the arms of the Milky Way. And I'm not sure how far his description went. They didn't care much for that because that was a violation of doctrine and dogma. Uh, similar to, I still remember this story where um, the church uh, knows they've got their own astronomers. They've got all of these people who have all of this high knowledge. And there was an eclipse. And the church would come out and say to the peasants, God is angry because you haven't given enough to the church. And if you start to give alms to the church, then God will bring back the light. Well, the light was going to come back whether they gave alms or not, but they didn't know that. And in a way, that's kind of where we are today. In that science, as wonderful as it is, and this is just my observation, Cindy. Uh, by the way, this is Cindy Dale. If you've just joined us and uh, we're talking, well, we're talking about, we started talking about empathy and now we're in outer space and that's okay. Um, and uh, anyway, so the, the you know, the, the, sun, the sun came out and of course they'd given alms and of course everything's good. But science, there are times when it says, okay. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Cindy, that there are 
oh, I don't know, 10,000 rules, okay, of the universe. Science has discovered 10 of them and thinks, ah, we got it all now. We've, we figured it all out. The next year they discover number 11. Now we've got it. Now we understand. It's like going from physics to quantum physics. I'm going, what was wrong with the regular physics? Why couldn't you just incorporate what you learned and are calling quantum physics into the whole concept of physics? You know? But we're continually growing and learning and experiencing and experimenting. And when, when I hear these, these certainties from people, number one, it reminds me of a saying that I was told in my early 20s. That it is better to begin in doubt and end in certainty than to begin in certainty and end in doubt. But the other aspect of it, too, is, as I shared with my, uh, my eldest sister one Thanksgiving, she was challenging me on my salvation and my beliefs. And I said, my beliefs of yesterday are not my beliefs of today are not my beliefs of tomorrow because I'm still alive. I'm growing. I'm learning. I'm experiencing and, and, uh, and all of that. What about that aspect of our lives as human beings? And yes, the old saying or why say whatever it is about how we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Is all of the information that we really absolutely positively need within us, i.e. our intuition, that still small voice. As much as I love talking with you, Cindy, I'm not going to get the answers that I really need for me, from you, per se. You might confirm, but I'm the one who has to know. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. And I would say the access to what we need to know, what we do already know, what we're going to need to know is through our intuition. It's already in there. Our interconnectivity is about the spirit who we are. And, you know, maybe an, an important question to ask, too, is, so why are we having this experience? I mean, if we're if we're as big as the sun or bolder or, you know, we can move quicker than than beyond the speed of light, which we can. What are we doing here? Mm -hmm. I think that's what's salient. And and I think sometimes we you don't really know who you are until you're put in a situation, you know, where you're confined and you have to go inside to figure out what's going on. When you can't open Encyclopedia Britannica or you can't Google this or that or you can't see what's on the other side of the Milky Way, then sooner or later, if you're halfway aware, you say, OK, well, maybe then I go inside. So we're being pointed inside, even though the entire world seems to pretty much exist based on what's outside. Mm -hmm. What's my house look like? You know, how much education do I have? Yeah. Honestly, everything just curves. And Einstein talked about that. You know, the, the fastest way to something isn't usually a straight line because everything curves. So sooner or later, you know, we're supposed to curve back around to right in here. Yeah. <laughs> like, hello, go in. Yeah, there's a beautiful poem uh, that I've read a number of times on this program <clears throat> by the author. I believe last name was Tiberius, something like that. And it basically, uh, to su summarize it, uh, the gods are a little concerned that man is 
starting to question his beingness and wanting to have answers to his questions and so forth and and who he or she really is. And so they say, well, we better hide the answer because if they find the answer, it's not going to be good for us. So they start talking about where where should we hide it? Well, well, we'll hide it in the top at the top of a mountain. No, he'll 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 figure out how to climb it. We'll hide it in the depths of the sea. No, he'll figure out how to get down there and he'll find it. And they went through a myriad of different places that, that they could hide it. Then finally one of them chimed in. I know where we'll hide it. We'll hide it in his heart. He'll never look there. And Greg Braden made an interesting comment in our conversation years ago uh, regarding his book, uh, The Healing Power of Belief. He said that there will come a day when we will no longer believe. We will know that we won't need beliefs anymore. I honestly feel, I almost said I honestly believe. <laughs> but I actually, I honestly feel inside that I am closer to that than, than uh, ever before. Because... Even though I still, I still get drawn into these energy vortexes of the of this material world, okay. Whether it's the the controversies and discussions and what have you over COVID or the election or this or that or the other thing, okay. I I'll come to the end of a very heated conversation and say, but none of this matters. It's irrelevant to the truth of who and what we really are and what we're all about, our purpose in life. You know, and I, I will have expended all of that energy over there trying to, you know, get my point across. But then I'll come right back to that. None of this matters. Now, some people say, well, even, even though you say 10,000 years from now, nobody's going to care. Nobody's even going to know. There is an element of it does matter because it's what's going to propel us to the next level, the next level. Barbara Marks Hubbard, by the way, also said in 2007 when I interviewed her, and sadly she's since passed, she said that what we are going to be going through, this was back in 2007, <clears throat> is going to be like birth pangs. You know what they are. I have no clue. Okay, Cindy? Um, that... We will go through those birth pangs, and boy, it can be very painful. You know, it's where we'll scream, give me the drugs, give me the drugs. But when it's all said and done, and when we come to the other side, when the infant, <clears throat> when the new life comes through the birth canal out into our world, there's a... <clears throat> a release of energy. There's a sigh of relief that it's over. And now we have this incredible, beautiful, wonderful new being in our midst. And that's kind of, and that's what she was talking about. And that is, and I'm not saying that, that, that our election per se is that, or that they've, they've got a vaccine now that they're going to start distributing maybe next year early, hopefully, and that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is that none of this is permanent. None of this lasts forever. Do you find people in, your, in the work that you do who kind of get stuck in thinking that this is all permanent and it's never going to go away because it's going on for so long? 
constantly, constantly. And, you know, it's interesting because, for instance, a good friend uh, pointed out one time that most people say scientifically, we only use 10% of our brains. And he said, you know, that's not true. He goes, we're, most people are using maybe 90%, but 80% of it, they're just reviewing history. They're just going over what's been done. <laughs> and so that, and we, what Barbara Marks Hubbard was talking about and this sense of moving forward, we hold ourselves back because of that fear of the unknown. And, you know, and it, it is scary mm. to go to the next level. My, my mother died about a year and a half ago. And I was with her for the five days of her passing. She died very peacefully. She smiled and left. My oldest son and myself were in the room and I knew she was good. She was, I just knew she was. And the next night, it was a Wednesday night, I was teaching a class. And so I'm telling the class, I mean, I'd spent a year with them. I, I can tell people my mother died. And I said, so, you know, so they were very kind about it. And I heard all this noise in the room behind me, like bangs and the dogs were not back there. Mm -hmm. And so afterwards I went there and this one bookcase had shifted. There was no way it could have moved. And two books had fallen down on the ground. One was one of Edgar Casey's books uh -huh. about life after death. My mother didn't even know who Edgar Casey was until she died, that is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So that book is on the ground. And this other book, I didn't even know I owned. The title was something just funny, like, so I don't know what all that was about, but I don't really want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I like the title. I thought, bravo, mother. <laughs> oh. You know, you got the message across. Yeah. and. Yeah, sometimes it's challenging down yeah. here, but you know, it's not permanent. You will you will die. <laughs> and and there's more. There's more to come and there's more to who we are while we're alive, too. Yeah. One of the things uh, and you've now taken us to a, another <clears throat> direction here, which is just absolutely fine. I talk about this now more than ever before on this program when this subject comes up of uh, of, uh, of reincarnation, living other lives and of course the afterlife and so forth about LBL, Life Between Lives Therapy, with Dr. Newton. And uh, I've read his books, uh, the case studies and so forth, uh, the experiences that people had, and I had my own LBL experience with a practitioner here in Santa Barbara. And I love talking about how my, past, my last life before this one, because that's as far back as we went, I was a pioneer. I was on the on the plains or the prairie or maybe uh, actually maybe uh, in a mountainous area in a valley. I had a farm, had a barn <clears throat> and, um, you know, doing all this kind of stuff and getting along with pretty much everybody in town and what have you. And one day my 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 field caught fire. I don't know how and it doesn't matter. Barn burned down. I thought, OK. And I have a cabin up in the mountains uh, where it was snowing. And I still remember the day I left. I came out of the cabin, I sat down on the porch, and I leaned back my chair, and I tipped my hat back, put my feet up on the rail, and I said, ah, this life, this life's been good. And I left. And 
there's a part of my life today that is similar to that. We live in a rural area of Santa Barbara. We live up on a hill. We have a travel trailer that's kind of set up already for camping. And we do that every once in a while. We'll go out there on special occasions and we'll watch TV and we'll cook in the trailer. We'll have a dog with us and everything or we'll grill outside and so on and so forth. And uh, we've got a greenhouse that we're building and that kind of thing. I mean, and it's just it it's kind of like that. Uh reincarnation a lot more and more people are beginning to realize that it's valid that it's true because there's nothing from their current heredity that explains certain things about who they are okay and um uh so let's talk a little bit about this whole aspect of past lives uh, by the way, I found out, too, that a lot of people, when they pass, they'll stick around for a little while, and then they go on, and there's a period of rest, and there's also education. You then commune with your cluster, and I have to wonder if you have to, uh, if you have to actually have any kind of contact with the members of your cluster, or if, in the case, for example, of Edgar Casey, you and I, we've never met him, but we've read his books— I wonder if he is now part of our cluster, as as they say in in LBL. Um, talk to us a little bit about both your experiences with uh, uh, reincarnation and uh, what you are aware and know of in terms of past lives and so forth. I'm a firm believer in reincarnation. I was when I was a child because I could remember some of my past lives. So I remembered when I was on the prairie, I remembered when I was my grandmother's twin sister who died at age 17. I saw a picture of my grandmother's twin sister when I was, um, you know, young, visiting my grandmother in Watford City, North Dakota. I saw the picture and I looked at her and I said, that was me. I was her. (laughs) That was who I was. And so, and even my youngest son, when he was maybe three or four, looked at me and he said, mommy, do you remember when I was the big brother and you were the little sister? And I said, I don't quite remember that. And he goes, I said, what do you remember about it? And he said, you were really heavy and I had to carry you around all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I am beyond a believer in past lives because I remember them. My clients do. They they have healings happen once they remember certain traumatic past lives or gifts awaken when they recall that they had different intuitive gifts in different lifetimes and they redo them. I even remember in between lives, I was hiking up a mountain in Wales several years ago with two friends and we were going around and around, you know, the path to get to the top and there was a cave up there. Very narrow path, lots of wind. We got to the cave and I stood there and I remembered being a chieftain, a chieftain's wife. And I remembered my children. I remembered this war. And I remembered when I was done, I was just the wind for a while. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to get reborn. I I was just the wind. And I just traveled around this mountain for I don't know how long I just that's all I wanted to be for a while was the wind and have Mm. a rest so there's I have a girlfriend who remembers being a stalk of corn she was like I really like being the corn it was so (laughs) easy (laughs) so I'm very open 
then when on Pentecost, the crowd around Jesus said, who are you? I mean, Elijah had ascended. Are you Elijah coming back? Are you Moses reborn? The Jewish people of that time believed in reincarnation. Yeah. Why can we not get there? It's just so narrow that we, you know, think it's religious to not believe in reincarnation. It makes no sense to me, actually. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that aspect that does make a lot of sense, and that's why I always asked those questions that <clears throat> I deemed heretical questions, and that if they wanted to emblazon in a big old H on my forehead, I would wear it proudly, because none of the answers that I was getting to my questions made any sense. There was no logic to it. And I firmly believe that God gave us a brain and the capacity, as it even says, <clears throat> to reason together. Let us reason together, it says in the Old Testament. Well, how are you going to do that unless you use your brain? Whether it's 10% or 80 or 90%, you know, and that's why I find it fascinating when when we start getting into the minutia of what we've dealt with for the last five or six years in this country, especially politically, where uh, and I'm not and I'm not wanting to go down a political road, but I'm just talking about information. You know, it used to be that you could trust <clears throat> the information you got from the different institutions. And now you have other people who are saying, no. It's fake. It's not true. It's uh, it's contrived. It's junk. It's science, and so on, and so on, and so on, until the evidence starts coming in. And have we reached the tipping point? There are those who say that we've already passed the point of no return with climate change. Others say we're at the tipping point. I mean, it, it just depends on who you talk to. But nonetheless, it's like I I tend to feel that. We, that climate change, I don't even like to talk about for starters. I just say, set all the science aside. Forget the science. Shouldn't we just take care of our home, clean it up? Okay, that's, that's where I'm coming from. <clears throat> but we're now starting to experience these things. And I honestly feel that... Even though it may be cyclical and a naturally occurring cycle, I think we've ha we have accelerated it in the last 100 or 150 years with the Industrial Revolution. Um, of course we have. I mean, yeah. it's logic. You like logic. Yeah. You can take a terrarium, right, like a bunch of like plants and turtles and whatever yeah. in a glass object and you pollute it. You're going to change what's in the terrarium. Yeah. It's just logic. Yeah. There's a logic to climate acceleration. And then they talk about how, well, what's the big deal with CO2, uh, you know, uh, carbon dioxide? Plants, they take it in and convert it into oxygen. Two things on that. Number one is most everything takes something in and then expels the quote-unquote waste. Okay? Now, how do you feel about inhaling the waste products of plants, Cindy? Okay, not a real pleasant thought, but it is true. Okay, but here's the deal. If you cut down the trees that are supposed to take in the CO2 that they need to convert into the oxygen that we breathe, what happens? Now, there was one interesting thing that I did learn, Cindy, and I did not even think about this. 
how much oxygen we get from the plants that actually grow on the surface of the ocean. I hadn't even thought about that. And somebody shared that with me. And to, you know, the algae and the seaweed and all those kinds of things, that's where so, a lot of our oxygen does come from. But the plants and the trees and all of that stuff takes all this stuff in and then gives us the oxygen. Now, that also speaks to us, Cindy, we could talk about this, about that which some people refer to as intelligent design. Talk to us about your perspectives of intelligent design or whatever other name you wish to refer to it as. Whatever name you want to use. <laughs> creator. I like the word creator, you know, because it goes back to the old indigenous tribes and the stories and something that I think we carry in our hearts, you know, is the sense of coming from something more. And, and, you know, there being a design, because even if you look at like how the universe works, there's order, there's chaos, but chaos leads to order. You looked at, you look at fractal geometry. Oh yeah. Um, right. Fractal yeah. stuff is so interesting. Oh, cool. And, you know, that you can't see a design until you either get way above or way, you know, close, mm -hmm. you microscope or telescope or whatever you're going to do. And there's a design, there's yeah. an order, there's a way that things are moving and they're moving into. So yes, there's an intelligent design. We can interrupt it. Then we create gaps between what is healthiest and what is here. Doesn't mean we can't adapt because when there's a gap, you have creativity right? You get to maybe do something new and create, a, you know, different, different solar equipment mm -hmm. or, you know, different ways to get oxygen out of the, uh, the underneath of the water, not just the plants on the water. So, so, but we have to work with creativity and we have to have some sense to do that, like of an alignment that if you're in it, you're healthier than if you're outside of it. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about. Like mm -hmm. what we're doing so often to in, in, in the planet right now, it's just, it's just not aligned. There's nothing aligned. It's not going to go anywhere positive. Not, not now, yeah. but uh, you know, so, and again, we have these answers inside. Yeah. How, how do you take care of your home? How do you take care of your body? You know, you take personal responsibility. It'll be much easier for groups of people to take more global responsibility too. Yeah. I would uh, even uh, use the analogy of uh, construction. You have a you have a high rise building, all right, uh, and they, you know if you remove something from the ecosystem, okay, that 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 is it, somewhere in the middle, uh, then the ecosystem starts to devolve. Well, you take a high rise building. Let's take out the vertical supports. What's going to happen? It's going to crumble. You know, you take out any of the major beams, and it's going to crumble. You take out anything that helps that high rise to stand, it's going to fall. And that also applies to our civilizations. Division. People seem to not remember that a house divided against itself cannot and will not stand. And um, I'm hoping that over the next few months and years, people start getting that lesson and realizing we can't go on the way we're going. This country... And this planet will not, there's a part of me that wants to say will not tolerate it. 
it will put an end to the bickering in one fashion or another because it's a living, breathing entity of its own. Just like everything in the universe, no matter how large, no matter how small. Uh, I don't know exactly what I would call the being called the Milky Way galaxy that's spinning. You know, I you know I haven't really seen anything like that in the oceans that would be comparable. But I also know that as above, so below. And I often use the analogy of uh, the macrocosmic and the microcosmic worlds and how we are in awe of both when we look at them and we watch what happens. And it's not chaos. It's just the way it is. Well, but in our world, and I use the term the mid-crow world, um, we need to get to that same place where we say, look, this is just the way it is. Okay? Uh, there are things we need to do. I'm not saying that we, we don't take action. No, we do. But we have to get to a place of balance where we realize, okay, this is just the way it is. How, what's my response? How am I going to act to this, you know, whether it be a cycle or otherwise. Change. Talk to us about the constant in the universe that seems to cause a lot of chaos, at least in the mind and heart of a lot of people. It is all change, and it can be very reassuring when looked at a certain way and at a certain time. When People are depressed and many people are or anxious. You know, what they're scared of is the change that something's going to be different than things were. And so people go to all kinds of ends to recreate father's alcoholism by being an alcoholic themselves or whatever it is. The truth is nothing repeats itself. There's no, I mean, history doesn't repeat. The beauty of that means that in any moment you can give up an addiction or make a decision that's going to lead you on a sober path. In any moment, you can decide, I'm not going to eat those hostess Twinkies that can last 5,000 years <laughs> through an ice age, right? I, I don't need to do what I've done before. I don't need to be what others have been that came before me. I can create. So I believe the beauty of the fact that nothing completely ever repeats identically mm -hmm. is we can create. That's that's the answer. That's what change is about is so we can create. We're here to create. We're here to create hopefully more love. Yeah. We're here to use our uniqueness and create more love the way that only each of us as individuals can and each culture can. So it's a positive, but we could just start to understand the positivity of change. I think that could make a huge difference in this world. It really could. I uh, thank you so much for giving us so much time on this program. This has been fabulous. I always enjoy talking with you. Uh, I have to tell you that when you made reference to that little girl that you were talking about earlier, you, uh, and getting to know these gifts that you had, these abilities, I could see the little girl coming through. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube video, you probably saw it too, folks. Uh, and, um, uh, and, 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 I think that there's a, I think one of the, my favorite uh, passages uh, uh, from the New Testament uh, speaks to us and says, come to me as little children, not childlike, but as little children, innocent and playful and full of energy and excitement about life. And I thank you for sharing that with us today. 
Thank you, Richard. Thank you, all of you. Now, may, may we all be children. May we all yeah. be children, yes. Even at 60, for me. <laughs> me too. Um, <laughs> people can go to cindydale.com to find out more about you and the 27 books. Have you got a 28th in you? And there's a 28th coming out next summer. All right. I'm, a, I'm a little lost. Maybe it's 29. I don't know. Okay. 27 is a good number, though. I like right? it. I like it. But you've got another work coming out next summer. And- I have another book about four different levels of reality. It's a repeat with expanded, uh, you know, a third more book called Advanced Chakra Healing in 2021. And then in 2022, I have a chakra book, How to Make Good uh, Food Decisions. Mm, that's oh, that's a great idea. I yeah. uh, uh, being diagnosed with uh, type two diabetes in July and being done with it. Um, just went back to the diet that I was on before, which was just basically eating healthy, lots of greens and and sweet potatoes and all of the good stuff. And <clears throat> and um, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not that hard. You, but I I hate diets. But not that I've ever been on one. Don't get me wrong. I've never been on a diet. But everything I've ever learned about diets is that you have to make these monumental changes. No, you don't. Just little tweaks here and there is all. Yeah, little things just here and there. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be looking for that, definitely. CindyDale.com is the website, and we hope that you will go there and check that out. I do have three final questions for you that I like to ask all of my guests. You may have addressed it them before uh, during the interview, but I like to ask them directly. But before I do that, I want to remind our listeners that uh, this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, and we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times, as well as the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry. And we're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews as well and share them with your friends. I hope that you will do just that. Repost them, do whatever it takes to spread the word about this program, about our guests. If you like what we are doing, you like the guests we're bringing to you, and you'd like to support us financially, we would be so grateful for any support that you can give us. And we also want want you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Yeah, we started out with the year of perfect vision, 2020, but we expanded it to go nine more years and beyond. Feel a little bit like Buzz Lightyear. Nine more years and beyond. And uh, go within and spend some time having some fun. Uh, Laugh and cry and get to know you. I know that it can be a little... A little unnerving, a little scary to see some of who you really are. But in time, you'll get so comfortable with you. You won't. It won't matter if you're alone or with other people because you're comfortable with you. All right. So to our final three questions, first of which is, who is Cindy Dale? She's that small child who sees visions. How about that? And loves doing that. Loves the world. Loves the world through those lenses of intuition. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Heart. Just heart. Having people know their hearts and open their hearts more. And finally, what is your life's purpose? You know, I think it's joy, Richard. I'm, I, think it's joy and that's what pops in my head right away is just joy 
Well, Cindy Dale, I thank you again. Go to cindydale.com. We really appreciate the time that you've given us, and we look forward to uh, sharing more time with you uh, in 2021 uh, near the summer when your uh, next work is uh, released for all to read. And again, thank you again for, uh, for being with us. Thank you, Richard, and everybody else. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.